21 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Oh, excited about our next guest who's joining us. Uh, matter of fact, as uh, UTEP football is just two days away from their home opener and their season opener, we've got the Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations. He's Nick Popplewell, who you can follow on Twitter, at Nick Popplewell. Welcome back, Nick. How you doing? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good, 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 good. Hey, I don't know about you, but after listening to that last commercial, maybe we need uh, Stress Balls uh, Gummies to be a new sponsor of UTEP football. That would be great as we uh, you know, try to navigate this new world of COVID-19 and make football happen. Exactly. I know there's enough fans that are stressed out in life in general, especially with everything going on and, and UTEP and all that. So, yeah, man, if we can get stress balls on the board, that would be perfect. I love that. So All about yeah. it. Let's do it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, by the way, I, you know, I had Jim on a couple of days ago, and now here we are. We're right, on the, you know, right um, around the corner from the start of the season. So you tell me, first, how are things looking at the, the new uh, Sun Bowl for Saturday's game? I was just actually over there. I literally walked in from uh, looking at the project. Things are uh, looking excellent over there. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, hurried activity and, and finishing touches and things like that uh, up in the new uh, areas that have been renovated, but it's looking spectacular. I think people will really be amazed and, and excited when they walk in the door on Saturday to see uh, just the transformation that's occurred in that space. And, and again, it it was needed. Uh, we. UTEP deserved it. Uh, El Paso, you know, the broader borderland community uh, deserved this project. Uh, it needed to happen to our our iconic venue. So uh, really excited about getting people in there and, and having them uh, check it out. I am too. Now, in terms of just, you know, the, the biggest changes that people are going to see, will they notice it right when they walk into the stadium? No doubt about it. I, I think um, – uh, if you don't, unless you don't turn your head and look at the west side of the stadium, uh, there's no way you're, you're not going to miss it. Uh, uh, in that, uh, you'll automatically see the, the you know almost 500, 499 outdoor club seats. Uh, you'll see the, the 26 loge boxes. You'll see the new signage um, uh, that's up around. You'll see the, the new simple uh, pavilion off the north side of the press box. Um, uh, which is spectacular. Uh, you'll see, you know, the press box got a whole new coat of paint too, and it's looking better than ever. So uh, again, you're going to see it no matter where you're at. If you walk in the stadium, also if you if you drive along Sunbull Drive, you'll see all the changes to the press box and that exterior. So, and they're still working on on the exterior facade. That's something that won't be ready by the first game. Uh, we knew that um, just because of delays with supplies due to COVID-19, but. Uh, Eventually, that'll get finished, and, and obviously, we've named that uh, the Foster Tower uh, in, in recognition of Paul and Alejandra's uh, very gift towards the project. So, uh, that's going to be very nice and something that will uh, be later on uh, in the season when that gets finished. Is that the last thing on the agenda in terms of being completed? It is. It is. Uh, you know, kind of one of the finish, you know, finishing touches, so to speak, kind of the, the cherry on top is that um, exterior. Uh, uh, the west side of the press box, um, as, as people walk in under the press box, that's the last piece that will get finished, um, and, which makes sense. because We've been hauling things in and out under the press box the entire project, so that's kind of the last thing to get done. Um, and like I said, we had, we had some uh, some obstacles with the supply chain, et cetera, getting some products in, et cetera, uh, which pushed it out a little bit farther than we thought. But, again, it's going to look spectacular. It's going to be kind of the uh, – 
the, fi- the final touch to, to making that space just awesome. That's terrific. I, I love that for you guys, and I know fans are going to appreciate that. And, and that's the most important thing. How crazy has it been trying to get those season uh, ticket holders reseated over the last few weeks prior to game time? Uh, to say it was crazy would be an understatement. Uh, you know, we reseated our venue in a week, uh, Steve, and, and really that's a process that could take probably over a month um and then probably a month and a half two months in front of that in terms of communicating uh collection times etc so um you know our fans were were amenable and, and were great on the phones and very flexible and understanding but we had an unbelievable staff that got it done um uh, you know I, i've really got to tip my cap to, to charlie thrash who's our associate athletic director for development uh, the rest of the minor athletic club staff um, our, our aspire sales team we're getting that done because uh, we, we asked them to move heaven and earth and they got it done. Um, so we were able to do it. Uh, don't want to try to do it ever again in that short part, short amount of time. But um, again, we got it done, uh, got everyone social distance. Uh, we did retain everyone's historical seats. So when we get into life as we know it back to normal and in, in 21, hopefully and beyond is that everyone will go back and be able to get their original seats that they had in 19. But uh, again, got that done, uh, which is great. And uh, we're happy to be open be to the point of, hey, let's pick, uh, pick the ball off, put some toe to leather on Saturday. I know you haven't and you're not able to seat people on, in the new outdoor seating areas, the new seat backs because of social distancing. you got to spread them out. But um, prior to that announcement to where you were going to go to 18%, did you find that you were pretty successful selling uh, the majority of the new seats that you have uh, outside uh, on the uh, west side? We did. I mean, we were having a lot of success, uh, you know, right around December, January, and February, uh, Steve, and, and selling those. And even before that, you know, we had some early commitments. Uh, you know, the, the most popular spots were the indoor club seats upstairs as well as the loge boxes. And then we were making good headway on the outdoor club seats. And then we had to pause right when COVID happened because we were going, what's, what's going to happen here? Um, and so we really, at that point, had to kind of halt. Uh, things on, on that side of it because, again, uh, it, you don't want to have to put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak, in terms of you sell somebody and get somebody really excited and have to pull the rug out from under them. So we did pause on some sales efforts for a couple months, actually for a few months, until we kind of knew what we were going to probably be looking at. And, and we knew probably back in June at a minimum that we are going to have to be socially distanced in some capacity. So that's where we were able to start picking things up. Uh, but obviously, it's been an uphill battle uh, as, as everyone is concerned uh, about the virus and, and uh, safety, et cetera. Uh, we're right there with them. Uh, and so, uh, again, we've been working as hard as we can. We have as many people as we can in those seats right now. Um, but, again, once things open back up and, and hopefully uh, you know, people see those states and go, hey, how do I get in there? It's going to make our jobs a lot easier. Like I said, when things open back up, people have seen it and it's tangible and go, I want to get in there. So we're excited to get back to normal whenever that is. But until then, we'll keep doing the best we can. I was just asked by an anonymous member of the media who will remain anonymous, did you upgrade the air conditioning in the press box? Unfortunately, so the top level, yes where we have this sky lounge. Unfortunately, the, the, the second level or the press level, um, no. That was one area that, uh, as we moved through the project, um, looking at costs, um, as everyone knows, uh, if you're in construction, it's through the roof. So if it's, it's a good time to be a contractor. It's good to be in construction. Um, 
because obviously there's there's a lot of money flowing through that. That was one thing we go, hey, uh, we want to get to it. We'll get to it at some point, but it wasn't part of this project. And that's something, you know, uh, I want to make clear. This is just the first step. It's not like, okay, we got it done and, and we're moving on. And in 10 years, we might revisit this. Uh, we realize and recognize that uh, this is the first step. And so the next part of it is, yeah, what are we going to do on that second level of press? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about handrails. Uh, for fans in the stadium, you know, there's still concession stands and restrooms that we need to upgrade and renovate. Um, uh, if we don't tackle that, that's a disservice to the, the unbelievable, iconic stadium that we have, and, and we, we recognize that. So it's something that's on our project board. Uh, we're going to get out there again and, and get focused on uh, trying to finish things up in the Sun Bowl. You know, I, had a, I worked for a former athletic director that said, I don't, I don't care what we do, even if it's just replacing the carpet, we've got to do something every year with our facilities. And so I, I really believe that, and that's something we're going to continue to be focused on. More with Nick Popplewell as we continue here on Sports Talk, but here we are at the bottom of the hour. Well, let's go to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We're back right now. Nick Popplewell joins us uh, here on Sports Talk. All right, game day is going to be a big one. A lot of fans are going to be filing in. I know that uh, the university has put out a list of procedures, how to do it. Let's get down right to the the fun stuff, uh, Nick, because the game kicks off at 7. The gates will open at 5, and fans can actually arrive on campus uh, prior to the game by four and yet there's no tailgating so let's talk a little bit about uh the best recommended procedures for fans so that uh, everybody will have their ducks in a row uh, saturday night absolutely so uh probably the first thing is uh we launched a website today uh or a web page off of utepminers.com it's utepminers.com slash football game day 
Wander out there. That should be your one-stop shop for everything game day related. Um, and we've made a, a slew of changes, uh, and so I can't emphasize that enough, uh, that website for people to go out there and check things out uh, regarding uh, clear bag policy. Obviously, we've made the switch to digital tickets and digital parking passes, which has been a big change. Um, you know, also all, you know, things about parking and our parking map has changed. We're offering single-game parking on campus, uh, pay-to-park for the first time ever. Uh, so there's a, a lot of things that are going on. You mentioned uh, COVID-19 protocols are out there, too, and so what you can expect. If, you have wonder, if you're wondering about what does my safety uh, look like or what are they doing to, to make sure that I'm safe in, in the stadium, uh, you'll be able to see that rundown and, and uh, uh, be able to get ready for game day. Excellent. Excellent. All right. By the way, um, I did notice that uh, as far as the bags go, you've got the clear tote, the plastic storage bag, and also the small clutch bag uh, that uh, is no larger than uh, four and a half by six and a half. That's the listing of approved bags that uh, people will be able to take into the games. Yeah. Yep. And that uh, echoes pretty much what you see around the country um, at college venues and at professional stadiums and venues. Um, so, uh, again, taking the page out of best practices, we were really, really late to the game in implementing clear bag policy. I mean, uh, not a lot of places don't have that uh, uh, anymore. And so it's really about uh, safety. It's the day and age that we live in and making sure that our fans feel secure and safe when they come to a minor game. No tailgating this year. That's very important. We can't stress that enough. No tailgating this year. So if you can grab a, a meal either at home or on your way uh, at a restaurant, that's a good idea. Um, along with a beverage, you will be able to buy at the game. I know it's going to be more of a grab-and-go variety. Have you seen yet what uh, what concessions will be offered at the football game beginning Saturday? Yeah. Uh, so what fans can expect there uh, is your traditional uh, concessions offerings at the permanent concession stands. And so hot dogs, nachos, you know, popcorn, et cetera, all of that's going to be prepackaged uh, as much as they can, um, you know, in warmers and prepackaged so that it's more grab and go. Uh, one thing, you know, won't be serving uh, hamburgers. Uh, there's just issue there with, you know, in terms of uh, the condiments, and everything else, lettuce, tomatoes, et cetera, that come with that. So you won't have a hamburger this year, unfortunately. But um, I confirmed with our concessionaire today, you know, hot dogs, nachos, popcorn, you know, candy, all that type of stuff that you're used to uh, for the most part will be there. But, again, it's the emphasis is, is how do we uh, make transactions go as quick as possible? How do we get fans through the lines as quick as possible? So that's the focus. Um, I mentioned permanent concession stands will be in operation. Unfortunately, you know, we've had – with pop-up tents, we've had uh, food trucks, et cetera. Uh, just unfortunately, we're not able to offer those uh, options this year due to COVID-19 as well as trying to provide as much space on the concourse as possible for plan uh, movement and uh, flow on the concourse. Okay, and I'm assuming also that uh, just because of COVID and everything else in general, fans are not allowed to bring in any kind of food or beverages, even if, it, even if it's sealed, Correct. So they can bring in one sealed bottle of water, uh, but anything else, uh, that is correct, Steve. Uh, anything outside of that one sealed bottle of water is not allowed. Um, so, again, hopefully 
Uh, I feel good about what we're offering uh, from our concessionaire. They've done a great job of trying to come up with something that is COVID-19 friendly but still satisfies our fans. Um, uh, uh, so, again, uh, come on in the door and, and, and buy those concessions. You're just going to have a few uh, options that you might be used, used to not on the list just due to COVID-19. Nick, let's talk about the digital tickets for a minute because I know that uh, paper tickets has always they've always been a staple for the season tickets and the individual game seats. But you go anywhere else around the country, everybody's got digital tickets. We see them here at concerts locally and other sporting events like the Chihuahuas and Locomotive. This year, you're going all digital and um, apparently making it easy for people to access that via an email. You know, easy is a relative term. We hope it's easy. You know, we, we again, recognize a giant change for our fans. Um, you know, in previously we have not emphasized uh, mobile tickets. We, uh, you know, leading into the season, even pre-COVID-19, we know uh, or we knew we needed to head in that direction uh, just because that is, again, I mentioned best practices. That is the best practice um, for many reasons. It's ease of use. Um, uh, you know, better fan data, et cetera, uh, for using, uh, uh, you know, digital tickets. Uh, you know, previously, you know, at my former institution that was near Denver, you know, I watched the, the Denver Broncos, the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, all of them go to digital ticketing about two or three years ago completely. So, again, um, uh, we knew that was on the horizon. Um, if I was to say, you know, if, from zero to 60, you know, we would have wanted to be around the 20-mile-per-hour range, but we had to go all the way to 60 just based on COVID-19. So you might go, well, why is that? Well, uh, is it the scanning piece? Yeah, that's a little bit of it, but it's more so you think about, you know, we lost games, uh, you know, New Mexico State, Texas Tech. Um, we also changed the date of a game, as you know. Uh, in the New Mexico State game, the original date of that was September 26th. That got shifted to the 19th when we, when we scheduled that Abilene Christian game. And so – and we also don't know what the future is going to hold. Uh, hopefully our schedule stays intact, um, but who knows? We might have to shift some games around. We might have to shift some dates around. And so really mobile ticketing allows us to upload all that instantaneously to people's accounts online. You think about it, if we were just doing take, uh, paper tickets, uh, we'd have to be trashing all those, reprinting them, trying to mail those, having people pick up, which is a, a no-no uh, in COVID-19. Uh, in the COVID-19 world that we're in right now. So re- really, uh, digital ticketing is where we needed to head. And, and really, we looked at, you know, hey, Louisiana Tech implemented it. Uh, you know, I know before the Mountain West canceled football, Wyoming, Colorado State were going with digital tickets. So, again, everyone at our level was heading that direction. And uh, they either implemented this year because they are still playing football or they were playing too and they're not playing football. So, Again, uh, we aren't kind of blazing our own path here. Uh, it was going to be a best practice, and it makes a whole lot of sense um, when you look at all, everything that uh, happens around digital ticketing. No doubt. And I think what's also important to note is that when you go to utepminers.com and you click the tickets link, you'll have the ability to pick your ticket. There's not a ton of fees. It's not, they don't nickel and dime you to death like we've seen online in the past. It's very reasonable and it's done the right way. So I applaud you guys for that. It's going to be digitally delivered. And here's something else that's really interesting. In the past, you could always buy tickets directly by going to ticketmaster.com. Not anymore. Now, the 
only way you can get UTEP tickets is to go to utepminers.com. And even though you're partnering with Ticketmaster, this link is exclusively now to your website. Yeah, Stephen, you brought two good points I want to touch on. One is um, we've been working on the ticketing situation for about 18 months here, uh, uh, trying to get things uh, cleaned up and, and streamlined. You mentioned the fees. They were out of this world in terms of it really encouraged our fans to not purchase online and also not purchase early. And so those are huge issues uh, because if you don't purchase online or you don't pre-purchase, we don't receive your information. And so you think about trying to grow the fan base, trying to generate revenue, that's a huge issue. So we were able to restructure our deal with Ticketmaster to where now if you go online and purchase, you're only going to get hit with a $2 order fee. That's it. Uh, there used to be a, a per-ticket fee and then additional uh, checkout fee and convenience fees, et cetera. Uh, that's not the case anymore. And then you noted, uh, you mentioned, hey, uh, you've got to go to utepmeyers.com to purchase your tickets. We think that is extremely important because we want you to come to us. We want to control the customer service experience. We want to make sure that you're receiving all the information that you uh, need, um, and we're providing that at the highest level. And so we want to have all that flow through our athletic department. So, Again, huge changes. Uh, we think they're going to be really good for our fans. And so, again, if, if you're listening and you go, hey, I remember those fees, go out there and check it out, and, and you'll see that that's a big change. And again, go to utepminers.com slash tickets to buy your tickets. Anything else, Nick, we did not cover that you would like to mention before we go to break? Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, Steve, is we recognize that um, uh, we made a lot of changes, one. Um, and so, hey, bear with us. We're not perfect. We're going to adjust things that don't work as we move forward here. But also, we need our fans uh, to be part of, uh, of the team in terms of uh, the COVID-19 and, and what uh, we've asked in terms of the protocols. Um, you know, this game day this year, you mentioned no tailgating. You know, the marching band won't be on the field, which is unfortunate. You know, the spirit squad is going to be really restricted. That's unfortunate. Um, it's going to be a lot different. Uh, so, hey, bear with us. You know, we, we've also got to have a if you're in the stadium or when you come on the campus. Um, uh, we ask you to implement that and do that and practice that at the highest level um, because that's allowing us to have game day. Um, so we're, we're counting our blessings that we have football this year. A lot of places don't. So work with us. Help us out. Uh, take it as it is. Let's cheer on the minors in this new kind of different world and then, if we do a good job with that, I guarantee you we're going to get back to the good old days where we can tailgate, have an unbelievable game day experience in the Sun Bowl. And then, again, uh, with everything we've implemented, we, we expect a lot of growth with the fan base and, and higher engagement as we move forward here. So, again, work with us. Let's have some fun, uh, practice those protocols, and uh, we'll have a great time on Saturday. Nick, appreciate the time. Thanks for answering all the questions, and uh, look forward to a great debut Saturday night. Hey, Steve, I appreciate you guys and you guys being the flagship for us, and uh, thank you for your time today. You bet. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Popplewell, and uh, again, he's UTEP's Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Operations. He's got every answer to every question I had. I love that, so that's great stuff, and Nick, thanks again. When we come back, we'll wrap up our one of Two and a half. That's right. 6.30, the cutoff time as we get you ready for the NBA playoffs. But up next, it's ABC 7 News, followed by Charlie One. Adrian Ochoa standing by with the latest on 600 ESPN El Paso. 
Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk as we continue. Three ways you can get in for Mark Lowry, our guest, coming up here in a moment. You can either uh, call in off the air and talk to Adrian at 880-5763 and relay the question that way. You can tweet something to us at 600 ESPN El Paso. That's at 600 ESPN El Paso. Or you can chat with us on our free mobile app, which you can download on any app store. Uh, And once you download the 600 ESPN El Paso app powered by United Bank, you can listen to the show. You can uh, check out all the great articles, the great content we've got on the website each day. We update it with a a number of uh, stories daily. And then you'll have the opportunity to also chat with us in real time while you listen to the show as well on our free mobile app. So let's bring on the head coach and technical director of El Paso Locomotive FC. He's Mark Lowry. Coach, great to have you back. Uh, How are you? Pretty good, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing really well. And excited for you. Excited that you're coming off a, a big win where um, you know you you played in front of uh, the capacity crowd of 801 fans. Let's just talk about the fans first before we even talk about the match. Um, what was it like for you to finally be in your home stadium with fans other than cardboard cutouts? Honestly, it felt great. You know, it's been it's been a long time coming. It feels you know playing playing a lot of games in, in empty stadiums. It takes a it takes away a little bit of the, of the excitement and, and what pro sports is all about. I think it's obviously been necessary, but um, for us to have those people in the stadium, like I said, it was only 800 people, which I believe is just about 10% of the capacity of the ballpark. Um, but it felt like a lot more. You know, those guys brought the energy and they helped us to the victory. That's terrific. I'm happy for you in that regard. And again, another Good, good uh, matchup that for you, a lot of pressure offensively, and uh, the outcome could have been different. But I know after the match, you really gave a lot of credit uh, to your club for being able to battle back uh, when the game was tied. And all of a sudden, despite all your momentum, uh, the team had to, to rally and, and get that uh, that game winner uh, by, uh, by Reb alone. Yeah, it was, it was a great game from our perspective. I mean, we put in a really good performance. We created so many good chances, and we just couldn't hit the target, unfortunately, with with, with enough of them. And when you don't do that, and then the score's only 1-0, you do give the opposition kind of that little bit of hope, that, that little opportunity to get back into the game. And, and the Monarchs did, but, you know, the guys the guys were resilient. Uh, the guys responded really well to that, that goal, and, and we ended up getting the win, which was obviously, you know, well-deserved when you look at the amount of chance we created. But, you know, we need to do better in front of goal, and we know that, and we're something we're working on, because if we create that many chances, we should be scoring three, four goals a game, frankly. Absolutely. And that's what could come. And, and ultimately, um, if you're able to win tight ones, even if you're able to win one nothing or 2-1, or and then once the goals do start to come, that uh, could be really when the fun starts, especially if that defense continues to play as well as it has, and then all those extra scoring chances will result in, in, in so many more goals on the scoreboard. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen a little good through this season, putting four past Colorado a few weeks ago. So we've seen, we've seen it happen. We know we can do it. Uh, it's just a case of doing it more consistently now, which are definitely generating the chances, the, the, the quality chances. And, and we now need to consistently put more on frame, more on target, and, we believe that when you do that, just the percentages of, of, you, of you scoring more goals drastically goes up. So it's been sort of worked on this week in training. 
these last few days, you know, just hitting the target with these chances, you know, putting it on the green, you know, let's, let's give ourselves a chance to, to, to put the ball in the hole, you know, if, if we're, you know, using a golf analogy. Um, that's what I've been working on. So we're, we're hopeful going into this game this weekend that the guys will be focused on that and, and, and that they'll be in the right headspace when they get in front of goal to, to execute. So many of your matches uh, this season, you know, you, you've played a, a scoreless first half, and then the second half you come out flying, all of a sudden the goals start to come on the board. How come you think that is where you'll start to see um, more goals in, in a second half versus, let's say, the first half? Um, I think it's, it's a little bit of how we play, you know, building that possession up, kind of generating that momentum in the first half to ultimately break them down in the second half. I think it's a little bit of a, a byproduct of that. Um, you know, it's, it's frankly, as well, not taking our chances in the first half, a chance that we get, you know, not capitalizing on them. And, and, and frankly, when you don't do that, it builds up a little bit of anxiety. So mm-hmm. every time you arrive in front of goal, you know, and you haven't scored, it just, you're a little more anxious, you're a little bit more tentative, which, usually means you're less likely to score. So, you know, I think for us, it's something that we have to do better at, you know, scoring early. And then if we score early, we're able to score often. And then we've seen that, you know, the, the games we've scored in the first 10, 15 minutes, you know, last season and this season, we've then gone on to score multiple goals. So it's definitely a focus of ours. Definitely want to improve on. No doubt. I, look, I think you're the best second-half team in the league. I, I really do. And I'm sure for you, when you can say you're the best uh, you know, 90-minute team in the league, then ultimately uh, that will result in, uh, in a chance to, uh, to play for a title. Absolutely. And, and, and that, you're spot on. Like we, do, we do perform well in the second half. I mean, a couple of weeks ago playing at Monarchs, we came out in the second half and scored you know, within four or five minutes. We just did it again against them this past week. Um, with Brent's goal. So, yeah, we, we, we definitely do come out in the second half um, and play well. And, frankly, we play well in the first half. I think, mm-hmm. I think we come out in the second half with a little bit more conviction, maybe. Um, you know, and it's something that we want to carry on for 90 minutes, not just the, the, the second 45. But, yeah, if we can start putting 90 minutes of that together as opposed to just the second 45, like you said, we're definitely, we'll definitely be on the right track for, for where we want to be as a team, kind of being at the top of the table and... and being in with a chance of winning championships. Mark Lowry joining us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue our weekly conversation with the head coach and technical director of El Paso Locomotive uh, FC. Um, this has been a, a wild uh, a wild week. You were supposed to play midweek, and then all of a sudden we found out that the game uh, had been pushed back to um, later in the month, uh, and, and all of a sudden you realize that uh, you get extra days of rest, preparation for that huge matchup coming up on Saturday against uh, New Mexico. Um, and and it's a team that was supposed to be in Albuquerque, but the game has been moved here to El Paso. So I guess for you, this whole thing couldn't have worked out any better uh, knowing you're going to go up against uh, the best team in Group C and obviously a, a club that uh, I know you can't wait to meet again. Yeah, you know, we, we were, it has, it's been a strange week, um, to put it like that. We were prepared, obviously, to go to Colorado and play. And, and frankly, I want to go to, I want to go to Colorado and play. That would have been my preference. Um, I wasn't too worried about the rest and being fresh for the New Mexico game. We, we had a plan in place that we worked hard to, to put together, which, you know, would have, would have seen us through this week just fine playing the three games. But so it's kind of thrown a little bit of the rotation off a little bit. You know, the rotation of players, the, the, the cycle that we were on in terms of training, um, it kind of threw a few things off, but that's really that's 2020 in a nutshell. You know, things things are happening in 2020 that we've never really had to deal with before, both on and off the field. So, 
we're just trying to roll with the punches and, and make sure the guys are ready like for Saturday against New Mexico, which is another good game, another big game, top of the table clash, you know, and, and an opportunity for us to opportunity for us to, to go top ourselves. You know, we'll, we'll, if we get the win, we'll have a game in hand, and if we win that, that'll put us ahead of New Mexico. So there's definitely motivation for us to to go out there this week, this Saturday, and perform. Are you going to be in your road uniforms uh, playing at home? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. I don't think. I don't think that's how they decide it. Um, in terms of what we're wearing, in terms of being home, well, I think it's more the the kit clash. Um, is how we decide what what color we're going to wear. Also, New Mexico, they wear yellow and black. So I think we'll have the choice of any of our strips this week. Well, I'll tell you this much: it's nice to get an extra home match because your fans are there, and that's big for you, obviously. Knowing yeah. you'll have the crowd back this week, and I'll tell you something else, Mark: you've got five in a row at home. If you start there with last Saturday's game against Real Monarchs, you you go five straight, four now from Saturday through the nineteenth, and then you finish up uh, with three games uh, on the road to end the season. So, really, take care of business at home, and it puts you in the driver's seat heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and that, that's, that's the key, right? Let's, let's take care of these next few games, and then I would imagine playoffs would be done and dusted by then. I think I think the league, the, the, our little table, our little group, this is already a bit of a gap developing between uh, second and third. So I think if, if we can pick up some points over the next three to four home games, it'll put us in a great spot to then start, you know, kind of casting one eye to the postseason and starting to look at, how we manage that because we finished off the season with a three-game week. You know, now this Colorado game got moved. It now becomes a three-game week leading into playoffs, which 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 will make it tougher for us. But um, it's something that if we can get some points on the board in the next few weeks, we'll be able to hopefully rest people as, uh, for that kind of playoff running. Now, you mentioned something a moment ago that I picked up on, and you said it kind of threw you for a loop because you, you, you had the game plan for the, the matches, the three matches this week, and now uh, you're left with just the two. So I'm wondering, since you, you were probably substituting and playing like there was going to be that extra match, and now all of a sudden there's not, um, it, it will have some possible impact on the rotation on Saturday, won't it? Absolutely, yeah. You know, we had going to do three-game week, we had it laid out where certain guys would play X amount of minutes in, in each game and, and, and things like that to make sure we had enough fresh players on the field going into each game. It was something that I was excited about. You know, we've got a good group of guys this year. We've got the, the, the quality that we need to be able to do that. So it was, it was actually a proposition I was, I was excited about kind of diving into with the group that we have. Um, but, you know, like I've told them, it's, it's just been moved now. We still have that. We still have that um, challenge of playing a lot of games in three weeks. It wasn't like that Colorado game disappears. It just gets put back in towards the end of the season. So um, we've still got that rotation coming up. We've still got that 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 challenge, that adversity of getting through those games. So we do have to manage people. Still, it's not a case of let's go organs blazing now and let's not worry about you know what's coming. We still have to to be aware that you know after this game, we've got six games in, in less than three weeks. So we, we have to manage it somewhat as we approach that that, that amount of games, that amount of minutes. is is going to be tough for the group. It's going to be tough for anybody. So there's still, there's still thought behind what we're doing here and, and making sure that we're fresh going through that stretch, you know, that kind of home stretch, making sure we've got everybody fit uh, and ready to, to hopefully, fingers crossed, go into playoffs. So we, we've still got one eye on making sure guys are, are fit and ready and fresh and healthy for, for the stretch. 
Coach, how has uh, Carrillo's uh, conditioning been over the last couple of weeks? And is it to a point where we could see more minutes from him uh, in, in terms of upcoming matches? Yeah, we'll see. It's, it's getting better. Um, it's not where he wants to be or where we want it to be, but I don't think we'll see that this season. You know, he's come in halfway through the year. He wasn't exactly playing in Mexico for the for the four, five, six months before he came here. So, you know, it, it's going to take a while to get him to where he needs to be physically and mentally, and he knows that, and, and we know that. We're, we're not stupid. We're not rushing anybody. Um, but look, like I said, we've got a lot of games coming up. Um, so he's going to, he will be uh, contributing more minutes um, over I'll the next tell you, few weeks. Yep. You know, so, so we're looking forward to that. I'll tell you this much also. When you look at, at uh, your defense and how solid it is, especially with the uh, you know with Brent Coleman coming on, giving you the header yeah. for the goal on Saturday, and what he's been able to do, you know, I keep going back to uh, Adad Borelli, and yet uh, the hardest part is going to be just breaking in with minutes because you're, you're so deep and you're so stacked right now uh, you know, in, in your defense. Yeah, and, and it's always, I'm always more cautious to change the back line. You know, I think, I think you can get forward and attacking players' time and, and what they need to get a little bit of rhythm. But but when the back line's pretty stable and solid and pulling clean sheets and things like that, it, it, you're less inclined to disrupt that area of the field. So it is always harder for the the defenders to, to find those minutes, you know, and we've got we've got other guys, you know, you know, Moses, McKinney, we've got Drew Becky, you know, there's there's Memo Diaz who's played right that we've got Matt Boehner. So we've got a lot of guys that aren't getting the minutes in the back just because frankly the back line's been so steady and so so stable and it, it's not something you, you tend to disrupt as a coach if, if you've got a good thing going on back there. But, you know, Ed Air's a great player. Got a lot of faith in him. And he came in in pretty decent shape, you know, and, and it just took him a while to get the visa. But now he's got that. You know, he was on the bench the last couple of games. So um, you'll definitely see Adair as well starting to contribute more on the field because, like I said, once again, there's a lot of games coming up. Let's wrap it up with this. Um, you've been in some wars with New Mexico last season yeah. and this season. You're still looking to pick up your first W. Um, what has it been about them that, for you, you feel like you know you're so close to getting that to getting that win and just getting past uh, United, but uh, hasn't necessarily been the case uh, thus far. You know, I'll tell you what. This is this is this is the interesting thing. So the games. The games we play against them scoreline-wise seem pretty close. You know, a couple of ties in there that beat us by one goal. And they're a good team. They're always capable of beating us by one goal. But we feel that the performances we put in against them, we're actually capable of beating them by three, four, five goals. And, and that's the honest truth, Steve. The games seem close, but for us, from a performance standpoint, they haven't really felt close. You know, we've do- we feel like we've dominated large portions of these games and just haven't, for some reason, whether it's a belief thing, a mental thing, we haven't really got the rewards or done enough to get the rewards, but it's something that we know is right there, and it's not something we're worried about. We're really confident in ourselves and our performances, and we know that once once we get that win, you know, we see it, you know, not really going back from there. And if you look at something, if you look at LA Galaxy and LAFC and MLS, it's a similar thing where LAFC finish higher in the league, you know, the better team over the course of the season, like we were last season against New Mexico, but the Galaxy. Once that rivalry started and LAFC came into MLS, the Galaxy won the first five or six games. Oh, sorry, LAFC didn't win for the first five or six games. But the game that LAFC did win, I think it was 6-2. So it was like, it's once you kind of crack that nut and get, get across that kind of that hurdle, that, whether it's a mental hurdle or a physical hurdle, whatever it is, mm-hmm. once you crack that, you know, the, the, the floodgates tend to open. If, you, if you're the better team, you feel like you're the better team, then you kind of 
kind of get through that and, and, and push on. And that's what we're hoping is the case with us because we still always perform well against them. You know, the score lines have not reflected the game, in our opinion. The, the victory is right around the corner. We know when we get it, it's going to be, it's going to be enjoyable and it's going to be deserved. New Mexico will not be with the services of Ryan Williams. He's been suspended for a game following his red card for a couple of cautionable offenses against Colorado Springs back on the 29th of August. So he'll be unavailable for the game. Uh, you tell me, is Ryan Williams the kind of player that uh, you know is, is a, a pretty important one for United? Not really. He's more of a bench player. Um, he scored against us last season when he came off the bench um, in the home game, the first game we played against him when we were 2-1 up. He scored towards the end of the game to make it 2-2. But he, he's more of a guy that comes off the bench for them. He's not a, I wouldn't call him, say, the consistent starter for them. He's got quality. But I mean, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really affect or change much about what New Mexico will do. So it doesn't really change how we kind of go into the game either. All right. Well, look, um, you've both won three of your last four, um, and that's what makes this one so uh, so much fun. I think it's going to be terrific on Saturday. I absolutely hope that the floodgates open up, like you said, and uh, a dominant performance, especially uh, in the goal column and the W. And next thing you know, Coach, you'll be flying through the month of September right into the postseason. Exactly. And when that, that's what we're trying to do, Steve. Appreciate it, Coach. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for Thanks, the time. Sir. Have a good there he is, Mark Lowry, our weekly chat with uh, Locomotive uh, FC uh, football and everything that they're going to be getting ready for this Saturday in their big matchup against uh, NMU, New Mexico United, out at Southwest University. Park sold out crowd. It's going to be fun, folks. Looking forward to it. Hey, Charlie One is back with traffic. We'll come back with more of our 5 o'clock hour, including a NBA coaching hire that absolutely sent shockwaves through social media and the league today. But before we get to that, let's go to Charlie One for this traffic update. It's the start of our final half hour here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplow with you as we get you ready for NBA playoff hoops coming up in just a little bit. Want to continue our ESPN fantasy football preview that we started yesterday with Stefania Bell. We've got Eric Carabell on today with us from ESPN.com. Don't forget, you can sign up for free at ESPN.com slash fantasy football or download the ESPN fantasy app. What a great way to enjoy playing football with family and friends with ESPN Fantasy Football. Eric, good to have you back on, and uh, hard to believe that a week from tonight, the NFL season will be underway. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's obviously been a, a, a different kind of summer, and there hasn't been any preseason football, but the players should be relatively healthy. They should be ready to go. Um, I, it should be a fun fantasy season as well. How hard has it been for you to um, handicap the way you know normally we deal with training camp since it's only been practice and there hasn't been nearly the kind of access that we're used to and no preseason games? I think you're leaning on veterans here as, as the teams are going to. I mean, there's a couple of running backs, one in Detroit and one in Indianapolis, who are ready to be stars, but since their teams haven't gotten to see enough of them in the preseason – one could argue that there'll be at least timeshares in the beginning, same with New England. So I think when it comes to rookies, other than Joe Burrow and probably the kid with the Chiefs, Edward Solaire, very few rookies are going to make impacts early on in September. So that's one thing that we've learned in doing our rankings and setting people up is to lean on some veteran presence. And, uh, but other than that, I mean, you know, it kind of goes both ways. Not a lot of injuries as well. We kind of know who's going to be the veterans in certain places. 
I wonder, though, uh, like, for example, Dalvin Cook. He's a top-five running back, but with the holdout right now, how concerned should you be, especially if you, you've got a chance to draft him or, or let's say, Edwards Hilaire, and, uh, and, and you want to go with you know the, the, the veteran impact player, but you obviously don't know where he will be um, starting next weekend. Indications are that Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, the two guys are complaining about their contracts, are going to play in week one. And it would be a little silly for them to sit out at this point. Um, obviously, there's a lot more important things going on in the world right now. So I think they're going to play, and I think people that fade them early in the first round could be making a mistake. Now, you could, you could take one of the top wide receivers or pass these running backs and take Derrick Henry and still do just fine. But I think they're going to have nice seasons statistically, so I'm not really too afraid of these contract squabbles. Is Derrick Henry, in your opinion, uh, the, the safest running back on the board? Well, in a point-per-reception format, which a lot of formats are becoming at this point, he doesn't catch many passes. So he, he's, I wouldn't say the word safe. I think he's safe for rushing yards. But for him to repeat those touchdowns from last year, I mean, it almost never happened. So I don't think he's safe for the same fantasy points and safe to be a top-ten running back. And obviously, those that catch passes – more likely to be top 10 fantasy options because there's something they could fall back on for those games where they rush for only 40, like Eckler is going to do, and Mixon catches passes, Miles Sanders. So I think Derrick Henry's a top 10 fantasy running back. Um, I don't think he can do any better than last year, though, because those touchdowns are kind of hard to do year after year. So I looked at your uh, top 250 uh, PPR fantasy football rankings that are up uh, on ESPN.com. It was up uh, before 9 o'clock uh, here in El Paso this morning. And one thing I noticed was you had Aaron Jones ranked 18th overall as the 13th best running back in, in PPR. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are calling for regression just because he had so many touchdown runs this year. What is, what is your forecast, and how do you think the season's going to go for Aaron? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Henry and, and Aaron Jones are the two running backs who had so many touchdowns last year um, that they have to – that's unsustainable. Not that many touchdowns. You can't do that every year. Um, they drafted a rookie, A.J. Dillon, who they really like. But, again, this summer, I don't think that rookie is going to take uh, much of Jones's uh, love early on in the season. Maybe in time, maybe if he has an injury, something like that. But, to me, Aaron Jones is kind of the last safe running back. There's like 13 or 14 of them, and then after that, there's a major drop-off, which I think is in my rankings. Like It drops off like at least like 10 uh, picks after that. So I think Aaron Jones is a really good player. He, he caught passes last year. They asked him to do that. He got into the end zone. Aaron Rodgers never threw in the goal line. I think Aaron Jones will have another good season. But, again, like Eric, Eric Henry, it's hard to ask for those numbers again. Eric Carabell with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we uh, continue uh, talking uh, fantasy football with you here on the program. Now, I-, I agree with the caution for rookies. It's interesting also that when you were ranking your receivers in these PPR leagues, you had McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, Cook, one through four, and then all five receivers were put right into the middle, kind of sandwiched in, and after that, it was uh, right back to the running backs. Yeah, I view those as the top tier. I view the top four running backs as a tier by themselves, and then I view the wide receivers as a tier by themselves. So the way I view it is, and look, a lot of this has got an instinct, is what would I do in a draft? And that's kind of how I come to my decision-making when I do my rankings. I mean, we use a lot of analytics along the way, but I view those top five wide receivers as relatively interchangeable. Michael Thomas can't do that again. He's the number one wide receiver, just like McCaffrey's the number one running back. 
But these guys can't possibly do what they did last year again this year. So I view that as a tier, T-I-E-R, and then I go from there. And the way I'm building my teams, I'm not taking a quarterback in the first six, seven rounds or a tight end. I'm building as many flex-eligible running backs and receivers because in this season you're going to need plenty of them. You're not going to know a lot in advance when they have to sit out, either to injury or illness. So make sure you have a ton of depth there. Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are still two very trendy picks, and they go right around the same time with each other, even in PPR drafts. Um, have you seen that everywhere, that you know some teams uh, will, will gamble and will pass up on uh, maybe a, a higher-end running back or receiver and instead want a shot at either Mahomes or Jackson? Yeah, I've been seeing it for the last 30 years. It's, it's, it's weird. People just assume that the, the top quarterbacks from one season are going to repeat that performance the next. And it literally never happens. <laughs> it hasn't happened, I think, since Dante Culpepper, the old Vikings uh, quarterback. So, I mean, Mahomes well, obviously wasn't number one last season because he was injured and missing time. But for people that are taking Mahomes or Lamar Jackson ahead of, say, Aaron Jones, I think it's a big mistake because if you wait five, ten rounds later, there are still really good quarterbacks on the board. But there aren't really good running backs on the board in round five or six. So it really comes down to, you know, value-based drafting. You know, if you take a running back early, you can wait on quarterback, but you can't do it the opposite way. So, to me, taking Mahomes and Lamar Jackson at all in the first three rounds is kind of a mistake in the way you construct your team. They're great players, and they'll be the best quarterbacks, but in the way you construct your team. ESPN senior writer Eric Carabell with us here on Sports Talk as we continue talking fantasy football and getting your draft ready. Who are some of your favorite sleeper picks for this year? I mean, I love Joe Burrow. And that's the one rookie who I say I'm okay with taking. And in a deeper league, I'm okay with him being my first quarterback, too, because I'm waiting a long time there. And I also think Gardner Minshew of the Jaguars is going to be really good because they're going to be really bad. That's when quarterbacks throw the most. Uh, When it comes to running backs, not a whole lot of sleepers here. I mean, I tell people, know your league rules. Most leagues are point per reception now. So James White in New England, look, his new quarterback threw to his running back a ton the last couple of years. Why wouldn't they do that in New England again? Tarek Cohen of Chicago, Naheem Hines of the Colts. These guys catch so many passes, they become sleepers because they're not trendy picks. But these are the guys I want. And a wide receiver, you know, for a point per reception league, I think Hunter Renfro of the Raiders is going to have a monster year. He's going to be their slot guy. I'm seeing at least 70 catches here. If you're in a non-PPR, Mike Williams of the Chargers won't get a lot of catches they'll get a lot of touchdowns. These are some of the guys who keep ending up on my teams, which tells me they're sleepers. Meanwhile, if you had to pick uh, guys that you would stay away from right now and you kind of caution against drafting, especially if uh, they're, they're pretty popular and trendy, who would those be? Well, I mean, the top quarterbacks, not just not, they're great, of course, but I still don't think they're worth the value. I mean, Josh Allen of Buffalo scares me because when a, run, when a quarterback relies on rushing touchdowns, that rarely goes well, even in the Cam Newton prime. He couldn't do that year after year. So while I do think Josh Allen will run the football a good deal, I don't see him as a top-ten quarterback because he can't throw the ball downfield, not very accurate. Be careful some of the older quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Their volume is just not what it used to be. At running back, Todd Gurley led my list last year. He's doing it again. He can't score that many touchdowns. He didn't catch that many passes. He has an arthritic knee. It's not going to get better. Ask anybody that has arthritis. So, to me, Todd Gurley is an obvious fade. Now, I don't know why everybody loves David Johnson in Houston. been terrible the last three seasons. I understand he'll have volume this year, and they're going to rely on him, but 
I don't think he's that much better than Duke Johnson, if at all. So, to me, if you're taking David Johnson as your starting running back, I think that's a mistake. What do you think uh, Dak Prescott's going to do this season in terms of numbers? Huge numbers. I, I, and, and he's a guy who has set up a baseline floor of four, five, six rushing touchdowns every year. And look at the weaponry around him. So, while I agree Jackson and Mahomes, well, I would take Mahomes over Jackson. But they're the top two quarterbacks. I think Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott is clearly the number three quarterback in fantasy for this season. Every year he puts up the numbers, and every year people forget about that. So Dallas's offense really should be great, a top five running back, top five quarterback, top ten wide receiver, and maybe even a tight end. They have an option here who can do something in Jarwin. So it's a really good offense. I don't know about the defense, but I think it's going to be a really good offense. You've got rookie CeeDee Lamb ranked 58th uh, in the top 200 overall. Is he the kind of player that you think could have a huge jump if he can figure out how to translate uh, his uh, training camp performances uh, during the regular season? We saw one rookie wide receiver last season that reached 1,000 yards, and he needed a monster December to do that. It was A.J. Brown of Tennessee. In a general sense, it takes rookie wide receivers a lot longer than rookie running backs to put up big numbers. And Dallas already has Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. I just don't see how Lamb could be their slot guy, and I could see receptions, but I just don't see how he's going to get enough volume. And that goes with pretty much every rookie wide receiver. Justin Jefferson should be the slot guy for the Vikings. Um, Obviously, Ruggs in Las Vegas. I think in year two, these guys could break out. Dallas will give up on Cooper after this season. But for right now, for this season, I don't see C.D. Lamb, unless there's an injury to one of the top receivers, putting up monster numbers. Now, in a dynasty format, go get them. Go get a bunch of these rookie wide receivers. But you got to be patient because they're not going to put up numbers this September, I don't think. All right, what do you like the best? Do you like PPR, non-PPR, Dynasty, Guillotine? What kind of fantasy football league do you enjoy the most? I do like PPR over non-PPR because I think running backs should be rewarded for catching passes. My favorite format has become something called a super flex, where instead of just a running back receiver or tight end being eligible at flex, quarterbacks can too because – I, I hate being in a 10-team dra- league and nobody's drafting Carson Wentz or Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford. They should be drafted. Quarterback's a really important position, the most important in fantasy. So to me, a, a multi-quarterback league or a, or a league with a super flex where you would obviously play a quarterback uh, there. And if you know if you have two quarterbacks and one's on a bye week, then you can always fill in with a running back. But I, that's my favorite now, a super flex where I can draft three quarterbacks Use two of them at all times, and I'm set for my buys. Follow Eric on Twitter at Carabel Eric on Twitter. That's last name, then first name on Twitter. You can also check out his work at ESPN.com slash fantasy football, where you can sign up for free, download that ESPN fantasy app, connect with family and friends, not to mention rankings and advice from ESPN experts like Eric, making the game so easy for beginners from draft to the playoffs. Enjoy the conversation, Eric, and uh, enjoy the fantasy football season. I love it. Have a good season. Thank you. You too. From Eric Carabell, right back to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update for us as we continue, and then we'll get you ready for uh, some NBA playoff basketball right here on 600 TSPN El Paso.